Hey, it's Kate. Hey, it's Anissa. Fosco Works has a bonus episode for you today. It's part of a custom podcast called Productivity Confidential, produced in partnership with Citrix. We'll be back next week with a new episode of Secrets of the Most Productive People. I'm Ted Brown, and this is Productivity Confidential, a custom podcast from Fasco Works and Citrix. We'll hear from industry leaders on how you can use emerging strategies and technologies to unlock employee creativity and productivity at your workplace. On this episode, we're joined by Joe Brown, Senior Portfolio Director of legendary design firm IDEO. Brown has spent his entire career designing amazing things, but he realized years ago that good design needs a good system in which to thrive. Joe, for our listeners who might not be familiar with IDEO, can you explain sort of what the firm does, for lack of a better term? (laughs) That's actually a harder question to answer than you might think. That's Um, why I asked. (laughs) (laughs) IDEO is, uh, is for, for, to try and be as succinct as possible, IDEO is an innovation and design consultancy that's been around for about 40 years where we've been exploring the edges of what is the future of X. And when we started that, future of X used to be things like designing the world's first folding laptop or Apple's first computer mouse, but has pushed us now to dive into all kinds of funny things like how do we develop a circular economy? How do we build efficient uh, organizations? How do we um, rethink supply chains and all sorts of other funny things? So it's, uh, it's been quite a journey. We're an interesting company that tends to focus on the edges of the, of development and the edges of technology. I mean, it sounds like you're developing creative solutions to productivity problems almost. <laughs> I'd say absolutely. In fact, I'd say we're probably hired to be productive in being creative. Well, so that leads me to my first question I want to ask you. When is being productive creative? Well, I actually don't think there's much of a difference between... I think it's funny to try and pit productivity against creativity, which is just to say that I think everything that IDEO does, the process we've set up and the way that we approach problem solving is actually to be as productive as possible in generating radically new creative solutions. And so what we typically find a lot of companies try and do is they say, uh, we need to get new ideas out the door. And that pushes them to leap on the first idea they have and build and launch brand new products, brand new services, new offers based on that. And we actually find that that's incredibly wasteful. That instead, if we can generate many ideas we can then pause after generating those ideas and start evaluating them. In that way, trying to separate the, the motion of being generative and being evaluative, it's, it's like you're no longer trying to drive a car both in first gear and in reverse at the same time, but you're actually trying to separate those two moments. So for, for Joe Brown, for your day, how do you separate out your schedule between those two, not necessarily, as you said, not divergent paths of work. These are convergent things in IDEO. How do you build your schedule, build your daily schedule around what you need to do in both creative pursuits and productive pursuits? I'm probably not too radically different from most people who are pretty far into their career, which is uh, my calendar tends to look like a bag of Skittles. It's color-coded and filled with different projects and different moments and different ways of working throughout the day and throughout the week. And usually what I find that I have to do is Uh, Not to think about what are moments when I need to be creative, but more what's the work that needs to get done? What's the setting that I need to be in? Who do I need to work with and what do I need around me? Uh, And it it actually becomes a a heavy process of not just thinking about when will these things happen in my day, but where do I need to go and what other resources do I need to get that right kind of work done? 
Has that process changed over the last 10 years? Uh, have you seen new technologies come to the fore uh, that have influenced how you work, how you address problems, how you integrate input from consumers, from users into the design process? Absolutely. It's something that we're always experimenting with is what is new tech that we can use or what are new angles we can use to get even better insights than what we've had before. Um, one of the areas that I think has been most exciting is IDEO has built out this muscle uh, around what we call D for AI or design for augmented intelligence, because we believe that one of the benefits of having data science involved in our work is not just thinking about what is artificial, but how does it augment us and make us smarter. And so one way that we've seen this start folding in is uh, we started to use a lot more things like simulations, where we're trying to get a better understanding of the problem that we've heard, not just from qualitative interviews or from past research, but to say, well, what does this actually look like as a system? So for example, on a recent project, we were working with a, uh, a large hospital chain, and um, we had heard some issues that they had. They wanted to develop the best patient experience possible. And so what they'd done is they'd spent a lot of time working on efficiency, saying, how can we get people through different parts of the hospital faster? And uh, we heard from patients that they were having huge problems with wait times, that they would sit and wait and wait and get frustrated and feel lost inside the hospital's machinery. And we started comparing those two things and putting them together and trying to simulate, actually, how does a patient flow through the hospital? We built a simulation, a model, that actually moved people through the hospital system to try and see where are these bottlenecks popping up? Where is this waiting actually happening? And what we saw was uh, the, the team developed this really simple system that would map out something like, uh, if you can imagine, a an area where they do blood lab work and present blood results. The patient, represented as a little happy green ball, would fall into the blood lab system, and it would get processed through there because we know the average time to present results to a patient is something like 30 minutes. So they move through there, then they go into a waiting room, and they're waiting, and they're sitting and waiting. And they're waiting for radiology, but radiology doesn't know that they're actually there in that waiting room. And so radiology might have a completely clear cue uh, and the patient would sit and wait and wait and wait until radiology was aware, oh, now is time for pickup, to pick this patient up from blood work and take them to radiology. And so while the person was waiting, that happy little green ball, after 30 minutes, turned into an orange ball and then a red ball at about 45 minutes and then started to shake. And what we noticed was uh, that angry customer, that angry patient, once you finally move them over to radiology, they get processed very quickly. But the problem wasn't that the system was inefficient. It was that communications weren't clear. And it was only by building the simulation that we could actually see, oh, the patient only gets picked up by radiology when they send a call out um, from the blood work, from the blood lab, saying this patient is ready. That meant that what we needed to design was a better communication system and not necessarily to make each of the individual departments more efficient. Well, I'm interested in this because it sounds like this is sort of a creative approach to designing systems, to designing frameworks for problems that are sort of intractable. And it sounds like tech has made creating those frameworks and those systems a little bit easier for people like you. Is that correct? Is that a correct take? I don't know. I think it's hard to say. The, the, the challenge is this, that technology can, if used in the right way, give us better insights and help us make sense of information. But it also has created so much more information that we need to process that it isn't always the end solution for how to get to better solutions faster. Uh, that is to say, we still find that no matter what we're doing, that we have to spend a lot of time trying to discuss and digest what did we hear to make sense of it.
I'm interested in hearing more about that because everyone is so attached to their technology now. Everyone is sort of constantly on email. We're constantly available. But it sounds like you're reaching solutions you wouldn't otherwise be able to come to by decoupling for a few minutes, by stepping outside of technology, by stepping away. Can you say more about that and the role it plays, whether it's in your own life or at IDEO? Yeah, I think that's. I think there is a lot to that. That the the eureka moments tend to come from having deep work, of not having your notifications go off to spark you to say now you have to take action or hey pay attention to this other problem. Um, we try and do a lot of work here that is focused on sprinting in the moment. So we might have a 15 minute long brainstorm where everybody shuts off from whatever else they're doing, and that actually can lead us to having much better outcomes. Um, I think what's interesting to look at is uh, we have a, an innovation assessment that we use at IDEO called creative difference. And one of the learnings that came out of that was that uh, remote teams can actually have higher levels of collaboration and higher levels of success uh, than sometimes having teams that are all working together in the same spaces. And I don't have direct data behind that, but I believe my hunch is that if you're only able to connect with your collaborators a few times a day and you're doing these quick sprints of collaboration, because no one leaves a video conference portal open all day long, but if you only have these sprints, you're going to be much more efficient in trying to say, what needs to get done? How do we divvy up tasks? How do we take action? So that we can say, what are our heads up moments and our heads down moments? Because we all know what it's like when you have video conference after video conference, that you end up spending half your day looking at your email while you're on that video conference. And I think that's where we see an erosion in productivity. We'll be right back after a short break and a message from our partners at Citrix. At Citrix, we're working hard to simplify the work experience to transform how people collaborate, create, and innovate. As Director of Product Design for Networking and Analytics, I know there's a lot of constant challenge to find the balance between productivity and innovation. Technology has the ability to either hinder or add to the energy and time you need to work your best. Citrix Workspace allows you to get work done your way accessing everything you need to be productive in one unified experience to free up more time for creative problem solving. Your work style intelligently delivered. I'm Lawrence Shorter, and I'm helping the world work better. Learn more at citrix.com fastco. Deep work has been a consistent theme on the podcast. We've heard a lot of people talk about the need for people to be able to sit down and do the work they're actually meant to do instead of sort of handling menial tasks, uh, sitting in meetings, etc. What does deep work mean to you personally? And how has the prioritization of that for you impacted your career and your teams uh, during during your career? Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think that that deep work is something that has shifted a lot over time for me and that I'd say early in my career, I had no deep work. And as I uh, entered IDEO and became a designer, all of our design teams are 100% dedicated to one problem and one project at a time. And so basically everything they're doing is deep work. And as I've shifted from there into directing projects and, and directing relationships, what I actually find is that I have to schedule in deep work, that it won't happen unless I hold an hour here or there to make sure that I'm getting stuff done, that I have the space to clear my head, to not look at email, to turn things off, to play uh, rain sounds from YouTube in the background and just plug away and start writing. In fact, one of my favorite things, I'm sure you've heard this before, the absolute blessing of uh, long haul international travel for getting good stuff done. I do a lot of writing at IDEO, but almost all of it is on an airplane while action movies play in the background. 
even though we have Wi-Fi and planes now, and it's sort of taken away some of that opportunity. Well, if you don't if you don't pay for GoGo in-flight wireless, you're uh, you're in a good spot. You're in a good productive sweet spot. I love having that excuse of not having. No, I didn't want to pay for it, so I uh, sorry I was gone for ten hours. Or it was broken. In fact, it, it is half the time. And I do a lot of flying to South America, and there's no Wi-Fi on those flights. Um, Joe, I know you have a lot of interest in the idea of uh, purpose-driven missions for companies. Can you tell me more about that? When we come down to the topic of purpose, I'm a firm believer that what companies often need is they need a reason why they're doing what they're doing, something that exists beyond just making a profit. But that what that is is not a, a broad kumbaya statement, but is actually something that is to create clarity and alignment. There's a, a beautiful study that... Um, Claudine Gartenberg and George Serafin uh, did back in 2016 where they looked at 500,000 different survey responses um, from people from across 500 different companies, and they were actually able to show that the kind of companies that had the best financial performance were ones that had a very clear purpose. That doesn't mean that uh, that the purpose was something that made people passionate. In fact, it wasn't the passionate purpose statements that led to financial performance, but it was clarity. And I think that what that means is that you're establishing something that lives above and beyond your current strategy that is something that you're striving for. Now, where I think purpose gets really interesting with individuals and where I think this can actually lead to higher productivity is when you look at not trying to say, okay, great, how does that big, lofty corporate purpose statement connect with me and my day job? But actually, when you look at the work of, uh, there's a whole host of people who've been studying what they call job crafting, starting with Amy Resnuski out of Yale, where uh, what she did is she tried to study people who uh, people in the Yale University hospital system. Um, and she went and tried to talk to people who were uh, janitors and maintenance workers, and she tried to figure out what is it that motivates people in these really tough jobs when they're cleaning up really dirty, gross messes. And what she did was she would ask them, well, could you describe your job to me? What is it you do at the hospital? And half the people she talked to would describe their job like a day job. They'd say, I come in and I clean up gross messes, or I come in here and I fix things. But the other half of people that she talked to, they would describe their job as, I'm an ambassador at the hospital, or I'm a healer. And when she would delve deeper on to those people to say, well, what do you do to be an ambassador? They would say things like, well, when I'm cleaning up in the chemo ward, I'll use gentler chemicals or I'll make sure the bathrooms are extra clean because people are really sick and this, the chemicals we use can make them even more nauseous. Or one guy that she interviewed uh, worked in a coma ward and he would, uh, he'd work with patients in a vegetative state and he would cycle paintings from one patient's room into another so they had a more stimulating environment and hope that that would help them to heal faster. And so what these people were doing was they weren't, taking a job that was written and saying, this is what I have to go and do, just these tasks, but they were actually going and trying to find meaning in their own work. And that's where I think purpose gets exciting, is not just looking at how does it draw alignment inside a company, but how can it activate individuals on the ground? And so when we talk about purpose activation at IDEO, we're actually talking about how do we activate that at every level of the firm to make sure strategy is a more productive process, but also that individuals can turn on what it is that makes them feel engaged and helps them generate and do more inside the firm. There's been a lot of chatter about how younger generations, how millennials and Gen Z are drawn to companies that are more mission-oriented, but it sounds like that's a general truth for everyone doesn't matter what age you are, sort of where you're going to work, you want to be part of a company that is doing something that you believe in. Yeah, there was a um, 6,000 person study done over a span of 15 years that was trying to assess uh, mortality rates and, and life outcomes from people who have a sense of meaning in their lives. 
And what they actually found is that people who have a sense of meaning in their lives tend to have a 15% lower mortality rate than average. That is to say that if you have a sense of meaning in your life, whether you're 17 years old or you're 70 years old, you're likely to live longer. And there's something really powerful in there that I think is a human truism, whether you're a millennial or a Gen Z or what you are, or a boomer or older, uh, that, that if you have that knowledge, if you have that sense of who you want to be and what you want to accomplish, that I think that leads to great uh, results. What advice would you give to someone who's just starting out who wants to build a purpose-driven company? I think my number one piece of advice would be if you're trying to build a purpose-driven company from scratch, that you need to figure out not just what inspires you to do the work that you do, but what are the values that you share with your co-founders. And I think that's not only true of people starting companies, but actually true of people who work in teams together. If you're joining a new team or if a new team is being formed, how do you start a conversation around what you value and what impact you want to create? Because if you don't have that transparency from day one, that's where a lot of the friction can pop up in teams over time. Now, we only have a few minutes left here, but I wanted to give you a chance to talk about the future and tools, technologies, advances that you're looking forward to in 2030 and 2040. What, what are you most excited about? I think there are a lot of things that I'm excited about coming. I think one of those things that I'm most keen on are some of the tools that we've been using recently. When I, I talked about we do a lot of qualitative interviews and research, there have been a lot of tools popping up that start to unpack those and create automatic transcripts. And once we have transcripts, we can start to do semantic analysis. And there's a lot of things in there that are going to make the qualitative research that we do a lot sharper. And the reason that I focus so heavily in talking about qualitative research is that we're always trying to find answers to questions that we didn't know to ask. And so if we were just to launch surveys and just try and do data analysis on the stuff that we already have, that wouldn't be that wouldn't be interesting. We'd be answering questions we know to ask. And it's usually in doing interviews that we get new questions we never thought to ask before. And that's what gets cool. Uh, on top of that, I'd look at um, other advances that we have in AI that we've been probing really deeply to try and give us even more insights to ask more questions we never would have thought of. But I think it's really those areas that I'm most excited about, as well as um, new platforms that we've been working with and even trying to develop for ourselves um, where we can test concepts in more lightweight ways and with broader groups of users. So there are things out there like uh, there's a website called Ask Your Target Market that we love to do quick taps into, into users on. There's a tool that we've built internally called Shape, which is about archiving project work as you go, sharing inspiration and research, but also has a feedback tool connected to Facebook uh, that we use to get a really quick pulse on. Let's reach out to whatever our audience is and get a sense for, do they like this concept? Do they not? What do they like about it? What do they not? Uh, but these bite-sized bits of feedback so that we can continue to move even faster because that's really what we're trying to do here is to explore the edges of ideas without having to spend a lot of effort uh, or a lot of time or a lot of money into developing them. Joe, thanks so much for coming on Productivity Confidential. Cool. Thanks for having me. This conversation with Joe really got me thinking about deep work and what it means to me personally. I feel I'm constantly being pulled in a million different directions, whether it's meetings, phone calls. There is a constant need to professionalize everything I do, and thus I end up having no time to actually do the work I want to do. 
this theme of deep work has sort of become a common thread through a lot of the folks we've talked to in Productivity Confidential. There has been a consistent message of we need time to sit and do the work we want to do, do the work we're good at, do the work we're passionate about. And I'd like to apply that more going forward. And I think that Joe brought up some really good points when it comes to deep work. Joe inspired me to sort of look at my schedule for next week, for the next month, and see what I really need to do. I want to do that, and I want to give myself blocks in which I can actually sit down and do work I need to do. And really adhering to that, and really taking that block and cutting it out and making sure that you're present and working and doing what you need to do. That's all for this episode of Productivity Confidential. Anissa and Kate will be back with the new episodes of Secrets of the Most Productive People next week. Productivity Confidential is produced by Fastco Works in partnership with Citrix. I'm Ted Brown. Our producer is Joshua Christensen. 